When I was a freshman, I met Pat Trout. Pat worked in financial services. It was her job to figure out how to give money to students. Don't you love that person on campus? Is that Melissa Cruz for us today? Is that who our, is our student financial services? Yeah, Pat Trout was like my best friend when I was at ENC. This week, we're going to celebrate homecoming. We're going to have a, a special speaker on Friday and alumni of our college. Yeah, so Pat. I met her when I was a freshman. She probably didn't need to work at ENC. She probably had lots of gifts. But she chose to work here. And so here I was, a freshman. I had enough scholarship money to make it through my first semester at ENC, uh, high school scholarship money. The second half of my freshman year, I was depending on my mom and stepdad to help me out, and they did. And so I, I got through that year without really needing much of Pat's help. But when I got to my sophomore year, I really needed Pat's help. So I went into Pat's office, and I was like, Pat, I have no money. <laughs> I, I need a miracle. And so Pat sat down with me, and she began to ask me some questions. And she's like, okay, let's talk about your family. How much can they contribute to your school bill? And I told her about my mom and stepdad. I told them that they had given me what they could during my freshman year, but that was really the end of it. Then she asked me about my dad. My dad lived about a half a mile from here, just a few blocks that way. He lived with his brother. My dad had lost his job a few years prior to that. My dad was also struggling with an addiction to alcohol. And there was no way that he was going to be able to help me with my school bill. So then Pat asked me about my taxes, my parents' taxes. I said, okay, well, which one of your parents is claiming you on their taxes? And I come to find out that when my parents got divorced, my mom got three of us, my dad got two of us, and my dad had not been filing his taxes for several years. And so actually, I hadn't been claimed on anyone's taxes, which actually worked to my advantage. <laughs> so I was able then to claim independence and file my own taxes. Pat figured that out for me. I would have never been able to figure that out. So she got all the paperwork. She set another appointment for me. I went into her office regularly. We filled out my taxes. She sent them in for me. And as a result of all of Pat's work, I received free money from the state of Massachusetts and from the federal government for all of my sophomore and junior and half of my senior year, I didn't pay one penny. All because of Pat Trout. Pat used her gift at ENC. How are we using our gifts? How are we using our gifts here? Last month, when we looked at the very beginning of Corinthians and this church that Paul is talking to, we discovered that they were people who had gifts, but they were using them to elevate themselves. They were using them to show off their spiritualness, that their gifts 
were ways that they thought it meant that they were better than others. And so while we take a look again at the scripture that Paul wrote, which was actually a poem, a beautiful poem here in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so let me read the poem to you. But now I want to lay out a far better way for you. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I have gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best and never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday, and praying tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We only know a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. But when I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't see things clearly. We are squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it will not be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We will see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. And love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. Loving extravagantly. What a beautiful poem. Just in the first three verses, 
I want us to look at these five gifts that Paul points out in the Corinthian congregation. He points out five there, five ways that they think they're demonstrating their spiritualness. They think that they're demonstrating their being better in some way. The five gifts were speech, that they had tongues that spoke the language of earth and heaven. Prophecy, they were anointed as God's messenger to earth. Knowledge, they had understanding and capacity to learn and teach. Faith, to believe in God's ability to move the immovable. And generosity, of both money given to the poor and of their own bodies given to die for their religion. And so they practiced their gifts when they were together, right? They showed off their language-speaking skills. They demonstrated all that they knew to each other and bragged about it in their heads were big. They bragged about the way they were generous, all the ways that they gave to the poor, groveling people of Corinth. They bragged about it together. All of these gifts, they shared them there in community together. And Paul is scratching his head. He's saying, how did they get in this place where they should never have been? How did they get there? Let me help you because there is such a better way. Because your gifts, they have become all about you and nothing about me, nothing about Christ. So you mean that the better way is not the way of our rules of religion? The way we dress, the way we speak, what we even eat and drink, that's not the better way? You mean that the way of the kingdom is not only about our chapel worship services and the excellence with which we do things here? That is not the only way of the kingdom? Wait a minute. The way of the kingdom is not only about our outward actions, about what we give to the poor? That's not the only way of the kingdom? That we would sacrifice even our bodies to be declared saints? That's not the only way? The only way of the kingdom is not just our orthodoxy, not just our understanding of the belief of incarnation and trinity and doctrine and creeds. That is not just the only way of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom is not just my social justice boxes that I check off, immigration, LGBTQ, anti-racism, poverty. You mean my convictions to fight for justice in these ways alone are not the kingdom alone? So no matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter what I believe, 
I am bankrupt without love. Being people of the way necessitates love. Because if not love, then all of these actions, all of these creeds, all of this worship, all of this giving to the poor, all of this social justice fighting, all of that, when done without love, we are left just worshiping ourselves. When done without love, they are nothing. As the words even come out of our mouth, they turn into dust. So why does it matter to us? Why does necessitating love matter here? I would say it's because of people like Pat. Because Pat was a person who got it. She got it. She lived it out right there at her desk with me. She didn't ask questions. She just got out the paperwork. She could have blown me off and decided that I was too much work for her, but she didn't. For hours, Pat sat at her desk filling out my taxes for me. She saw her gift as a way to express love in this community. She could have asked questions about my family. I mean, I would have been curious, <laughs> right? She could have asked questions. Oh, when were your parents divorced? Oh, so your dad's an alcoholic. When did he lose his job? Why hasn't he been filing his taxes? She could have asked those questions. But love does not ask hurting people how they got to where they are. Love wraps a tourniquet around it and stops the bleeding. When we take our gift and instead of using it to show a talent or display our knowledge or worship or even commitment to doing what is right in the midst of all the other gifts, we show, we show how to love God and how to love others because it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if our gift was to pen the most beautiful speech or spoken word, or prepare the most beautiful sermon. It wouldn't matter if we bragged about our gift every day leading up to that moment because no one would want to listen to us. It wouldn't matter if you or I had a 4.0 and made it a priority every day to read everything that we could, to know everything about everything. It wouldn't matter if we could speak intelligibly on every subject across the table. It wouldn't matter if in our pursuit of knowledge, we made other people feel little about what they did not know. And in fact, that would reveal our ignorance. Even if it cost us everything, sacrificing our money, our job, our bodies, it wouldn't matter because it would not give us a higher recommendation to God for our heaven resume, right? Isn't it strange that we believe that our worthiness as a Christian 
is accomplished by insulting people who don't agree with what we believe or aren't taken up with the issues of injustice that we are taken up with, we find ourselves in this place where our notion of being Christian is the commitment to being right on issues of justice while taking down and putting down and discrediting those who don't walk with us in the parade or carry the sign with us or vote like us. And like a rooster crowing in Peter's ear, we hear the words of 1 Corinthians 13.3, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter what I believe, I am bankrupt without love. And all of our words and all of our knowledge and all of our actions toward doing what we know and believe is right, it comes out of our mouths and it vanishes. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. I was sitting in a seminary classroom when I heard those words from my professor. We were studying the Gospel of John. We had gotten to chapter 13. And I heard those words come out of his mouth. Up until that point, uh, I had been walking a journey rooting for the social justice issue of undocumented immigrants. My entire backstory has been a succession of relationships with people who are immigrants. It started many, many years before that classroom took place. And I learned that God had grown within me a deep desire to advocate for, for people who found themselves here, undocumented, needing help. There was another man in my church. His name was Chuck. My passion had driven me to bring something to my church board. I wanted them to begin a ministry with the undocumented immigrants that were in our congregation. When I shared that with the church board, Chuck disagreed with me. That's really not the role of the church, is what Chuck told me. I mean, we're called to, you know, feed the naked. Sorry, feed the hungry. <laughs> I guess it would be good to feed the naked, too. To feed the hungry. We're called to clothe the naked. We're called to give a drink to the thirsty. All right, I'll let you get that out of your system. All right, those are the things we're called to. We're not called to advocate on behalf of people who are here illegally. That's not the job of the church. That's what Chuck told me. So we decided there at the church board meeting, because we weren't going to solve it in front of 20 other people, we decided to have a conversation. So a few weeks later, Chuck and I sat down in the church at a table, and I said, could we just talk about the way that we disagree about this thing? Because the words of my seminary professor 
ringing in my ear. As I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. And that meant that I had to love Chuck. That I actually had to sit next to him in the pew and worship God alongside Chuck. And while it was really easy for me to offer hospitality to immigrants, it was really difficult for me to offer hospitality to Chuck. So we sat down at a table. We talked about his backstory, about why he was afraid to travel to other countries, why he didn't care to be in relationship with anybody who was different from him, I shared with him my backstory of all those relationships of people from other cultures and backgrounds and why that had driven in me a love and a desire to be an advocate for an immigrant. When we walked away from our conversation, we didn't agree. But I sincerely understood Chuck, and I could say that I loved him and I could sit in the pew next to him, and I hoped that he could do the same with me, that he could say he understood me, that he loved me, that he could sit next to me in the pew. I still think I'm right. (laughs) And Chuck still thinks he's right. But we sit together and we love each other. And that there is the difference, because somehow we have gotten it wrong. We believe that true religion is about us and is about whatever gift we have to give to the community that puffs us up. When it is simply about loving God and loving each other, even those who are not like us, even loving those who disagree with us, because that looks very different than the world around us. And those people in Corinth, Paul was trying to help them see that loving each other would look very different from that community around them. Necessitating love, that could change everything. God, whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we believe, that is nothing unless we do that with love. That we are bankrupt. That this community is bankrupt without love. God, it is our deep desire. It is my deep desire that we would get beyond ourselves and not make it about what we believe and what we do and what we say at the expense of others, but that, God, our words would be filled with love, that our actions would demonstrate not only our love for you, but our love for each other. Amen.